Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week on the show, the team behind Kingfolk have a new title called Kindling, a magazine for people with children. Cleverly designed, of course. We also speak with Zach Kais, founder and creative director of Zach Group, responsible for the redesign of Fact Magazine, among others. And finally, for all music lovers, Carl Hankel from the Great Record Magazine as well. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Coming up on the show, we speak with the founder of Record Magazine. I always have so many music discoveries while reading it. And Zach Kais as well meets me at Midori House to talk about his incredible work. One of the latest is the redesign of Fact Magazine, which is also a music title. But first on the show, the good thing of Kingfolk is back with a new title, Kindling. The first issue comes out this week, in fact. The title is aimed at people with children, but of course with a lot of clever design, insightful articles, and if you're lucky, some cute stickers inside as well. And also, King Folk, their main title, celebrates 10 years, so plenty to chat there. But let's discuss the first issue of Kindling, and I spoke to their editor-in-chief and also editor King Folk, Harriet Fitch Little. Firstly, you know, thank you for having me. This is, I think, the first time I've spoken about kindling sort of in a live situation in front of someone. So it feels different already. <laughs> it does. Yeah, so kindling, there's definitely things in there for children. Uh, we've got a section at the back called Fun Stuff, which is um, exercises, sort of games that you can play with children. But the focus of the sort of content of the magazine is definitely mainly for adults. And it's for parents. I'm sure you know parents will be our primary demographic but the way we've sort of written the content we really want it to be of interest to anyone who is sort of involved in raising a child in you know the many forms that that can take and even even if a child do indeed read uh, kindling i think it's nice because you're not kind of dumbing down content for them in a way and i think that's also quite important right yeah i think so i mean again it's like it's definitely meant to be read by adults but the idea is because we've got you know these nice illustrations we've got sort of what I guess you could call pathways through the magazine that are aimed at children so you know there are occasionally exercises for children or we'll have these kids corners where we have just sort of bits of text saying you know can you count the number of clouds on this page or things like that so the idea is that you know if you're an adult reading this and it feels sort of part of your I don't want to part of your sort of like normal life and like um, you might read it sort of alongside, you know, Monocle or something. But if you've got a child next to you, there are sort of things that they'll be able to pick out in it and you can pick out with them and that you can do with them as well. What about the format? I mean, it's, it's quite nice. I mean, I know kind of the idea of parents and kids, but I love the smaller format. I mean, so it's kind of just to really differentiate as well from the from Kim Folk, the main title, even though they might be complementary. But, you know, it's, there's quite a, a difference there as yeah. well. I think um, our art director, Stefan Sundström, and our designer, Alex Hunting, who's also based in London, Stefan's in Copenhagen, which is where Kinfolk is, I think what they wanted was to essentially make something that felt more sort of pick-up and put-downable. So, you know, this is the sort of thing that you could easily sort of slip into a bag. It doesn't feel, you know, you often see Kinfolk put in these quite sort of precious situations. Maybe you see it like in a beautiful sort of like flat lay on a coffee table next to like a, you know, nicely poured latte. And I think the idea with this is that it's sort of far more 
like a movable beast and it's aimed at people who perhaps don't have sort of an hour to sit down and read. It's like, yeah, you will sort of pick it up, put it down, do something else. I like some of the fun elements of it. I mean, the, the stickers, actually. I, I love it. I'm sure I'm going to use them, you know, somewhere in my house or something. The illustrations by Espen Freeberg as well. Again, you're having fun while making a magazine. I think that's what this shows to me. Yeah, I think we had about as much fun as you can have when you're sort of, none of you are in the same place making yes. a magazine, which was quite <laughs> limiting. But it was really fun. And so the stickers are sort of, some of them are characters that appear in the magazine, like um, Claude, our uh, cover star, uh, the cloud person. All the illustrations are done through Espen throughout the magazine, which sort of gives it, I guess, what we wanted to do. And it's, I'm glad because it sounds from what you're saying, like it's at least semi-worked, is make something that felt really fun and playful, but had enough sort of visual continuity and I guess like style, for want of a better word, that it would also feel at home as part of like an adult setup as well as like a child's bedroom. The idea for the magazine, I wonder how this came about. Did you guys realize, for example, that the King Folk readership, perhaps a lot of them were kind of parents themselves and perhaps you saw, oh, there's a nice gap in the market. Perhaps we should explore that. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely a case that, you know, and I'm not going off, perhaps won't surprise you to know that we don't sort of do rigorous audience analysis. But, um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I think, you know, probably a lot of our readers uh, were in their 20s when Kinfec started and now probably they're more in their 30s and, you know, families a bigger part of their life in whatever form that takes. But the other thing I should say is that in a way we didn't come up with the idea for this magazine. So Kindling actually circulated in 2013 for a couple of years under the title Kindling Quarterly And then it was a really nice indie magazine based in the US and it had a focus specifically on fatherhood um, and sort of, I think the founders felt at the time like stories of sort of modern fatherhood weren't really getting told in um, either the indie media or the mainstream media. So they created that magazine which sort of circulated for, I think, six issues and then it sort of wound down. So we actually, you know, sort of acquired the rights to use that title just because it was a really nice magazine the name obviously kindling like just feels like a really nice fit for kinfolk um, and we like the sort of legacy that it had but yeah it's sort of um in terms of what it is I wouldn't exactly call it a relaunch because this is such a different magazine but there is a sort of like lineage with something that came before and lots of the ideas were sort of sparked by that as well. And and tell us about the DNA perhaps of King Folk and Kindling. I know you're based now here in London, but there's a big, of course, the the main kind of head office. It's Copenhagen, right? But it's, it feels quite international as well. Or is is there a DNA, or is it kind of it belongs to the world in a way? Because I think King Folk is the kind of magazine that it's sold in so many countries, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'd like to think it um, belongs to the world. That's um, <laughs> makes me feel like, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so the main office is in Copenhagen, but obviously it was founded in Portland in the US. And we've also got Kinfolk, not Kindling, but Kinfolk gets translated into Japanese, uh, Chinese and Korean. And we have quite a big audience in East Asia as well. We've also got a space in Seoul now. And, you know, Kindling, it's amazing as well. But I also, you gave me the latest issue of King Folk. There's been a little kind of redesign. So it's quite an exciting period for you guys. A new title, a redesign of the main King Folk here as well. Well, uh, yeah, I guess the thing it's all tied to is the fact that this summer, so around when this episode comes out, will be the 10-year anniversary of King Folk Publishing. 
So, you know, we thought as part of that, maybe it's nice if we have our own baby. Um, sorry, that's really Talking cheesy, about babies? But no, but it's... <laughs> that, that, that baby is kindling. And then the other thing that we've done, yeah, with Alex Hunting in London is to redesign Kinfolk a bit. And obviously, in terms of editorial content, the content has been evolving, you know, pretty much in every issue. Like, this is a very different magazine to what you'd have picked up, um, you know, 10 or even five years ago. But the last time we had a redesign was, I think, five years ago. So we thought there were sort of some things that could do with updating. And the main thing you sort of notice from a sort of striking visual perspective is that we've sort of got rid of the white bars on the cover. I I think it looks very beautiful as well, the cover, I have to say. Oh, thank you. Well, I think um, John, our editor-in-chief, maybe felt like the sort of white bars had become so ubiquitous. I think he was once asked for comment about... um, a Bible that had essentially been designed with those white bars to look very, very similar to um, how kinfolk used to look. And I think maybe at that point we thought, OK, maybe it's time that we do something slightly different if this has become like quite ubiquitous in the um, magazine publishing world. And Herod, a question for you. I mean, I've been talking to quite a few editors here on the stack. Do you think during, you know, this, I mean, I say COVID year, we're still going through uh, so much uh, that pe- the people can kind of, they prized the print product as well? Because uh, I hear from editors that has been kind of ha- rising some subscriptions because some people didn't want to just look at the big screen all the time. You know, they wanted to hold something. Uh, do you know what I mean? Did you feel the same with the readers from Kingfolk and perhaps now yeah. of Kindling as well? Well, I think it's hard to know in terms of sales because, you know, our online sales obviously shot up, but I'm sure that's also to do with the fact that, you know, so many other avenues were shut down mm. <laughs> over the last year. So I don't want us to like kid ourselves that that was all, you know, um, a sudden surge of interest in magazines uh, from people stuck at home. But yeah, I think um, I think the way in which I think about that and definitely in terms of like launching Kindling is that we wanted, I think, we're spending so much time at home still and the things we have in our home, we sort of want them to sort of connect us to like our wider interests that we might have previously, you know, got that stimulation from elsewhere, from sort of like cultural events, from seeing friends, from just from just like life, really. And I think when that's kind of shut down, perhaps like having these, you know, nice and interesting magazines in your home perhaps is a sort of like bridge in that way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's beautiful. Kindling, the idea is, is it going to be a biannual? Yeah, so the idea, I mean, potentially could go up. So like I said, the original title was called Kindling Quarterly and when it circulated in 2013. So maybe we can get it to a place where it sort of earned that title again. Um, but yeah, while we're getting it going, we're going to publish biannually. So the next one will be out in uh, winter of this year. There was Harriet Fitch Little. And make sure to grab your copy of the new Kindling and King Folk as well. This week I also had the pleasure to speak with Zach Kais, graphic designer and creative director, founder of Zach Group. He's the man responsible for designing Frank Ocean's zine, Boys Don't Cry. We spoke about his recent collaborations with Virgil Abloh and Nike, and also the redesign of Fact magazine. Here is Zach with more. I um, moved to London in 2005 and immediately opened Zach Group. We're a design office, so we design things, but some of those things can also be ideas, creative direction, art direction, also objects like some of the ones that we have on the table in front of us today. In addition to running Zach Group, um, I also have have taught and, and lectured. I've worked a lot with architects and artists. And at Zach Group, we really see our work as 
giving shape to culture. That's how we think about it. So we see our role as really kind of helping craft culture and graphic design is, is one way of cultural production. And talking about craft, you have a very strong connection with print as well. You've been involved, you know, in several projects. I mean, there are newer ones which we'll talk about. But, you know, I would like to mention as well, uh, you know, Boys Don't Cry, which has been a, a kind of a partnership with Frank Ocean, right, that, that you guys did. And, and it was quite iconic. It's quite a coveted object now, right? Yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult to, uh, to get your hands on one now. But that was a really interesting project because what also really impressed me with Frank, I have an enormous amount of respect for him, is how he saw what we were doing with, with artists and architects in the arts and culture field and saw a way to kind of port our work into a kind of different dimension, into his world. And so that's what we did with Boys Don't Cry. It was a magazine, but it also, I think, was in a way a visual album. It kind of questioned it questioned print. It also questioned how we consume music. Um, so that was a super interesting project, and, and there we worked on a number of things, but one of the key elements became the, the identity and the masthead that was kind of deployed across the magazine and a number of different events. What has been your connection with magazines in general? Are you kind of a big fan still of, of print? And I mean, I presume you are because yeah. of because of your this, looking at your project. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm from a generation like where my primary access to culture was through books and magazines. I mean, that's also how I became a designer. And I actually studied art history originally, was spending a lot of time in the library looking at these books. And, and finally, I thought, like, you know, who made these? Like, how did these exist? And so that became kind of my gateway into, into the world of art and culture. Through books and also magazines, those were really important ways to find out information. And, and now, of course, that's totally different. But, you know, there were some magazines like, you know, the very early issues of O32C when it was still a broadsheet that also kind of experimented with the, the kind of format and medium of magazines that I found super interesting. Well, let's talk about some of your recent projects I have in front of me. And by the way, Zach, I do judge a book and a magazine by its cover. So, and, but that's a good thing. That is a good because thing. Because it, it's such a beautiful cover here for Fact Magazine. And, and, and it's nice that they actually, they did kind of an opposite move. They returned to print quite recently, which I find it amazing. Tell us about your involvement with that. Exactly. So Fact Magazine existed as a, as a printed zine, really for a number of issues. And then it, along with, you know, many publications, uh, kind of transitioned to an online platform. And they built a huge community around electronic music. And at this point, they decided that it would be an interesting moment to return to print. And what Fact really has, has kind of focused in on over the past years is the intersection of audio and visual artwork. And those are, of course, two things that are impossible to present in print. Uh, so this was also a kind of challenge of how do you, in print, which is in a way static, present audio and visual and moving image. So what we've tried to do is to create a kind of exhibition in print and thought about the magazine less as a, as a series of printed pages and more as a kind of space you enter and encounter. So that was the way in which we approached the magazine. Also, they've opened a, an amazing new Ryoji Ikeda show that's, that's open now. Everyone should see that. And they will also open a dedicated exhibition space. So we're working with them on all of these projects uh, as well as their kind of graphic identity that we redesigned when they launched. So... It's exciting to to go back into print. You know, this past year was the 
year that our entire lives moved online. And if any year would have been the year that print died, it would have been last year. Uh, but that didn't happen. I mean, there's been such a big resurgence of print. So it's really interesting now to think about the possibilities. That's very true. I mean, a lot of people were worried at the beginning because it's, you know, COVID affected everything. But then we did notice, you know, there was being more subscriptions. People were interested because they were at home. They wanted to relax, not just look at the screen all the time as well. How did it change kind of your work pattern? I'm I'm feeling that now that things are opening up, everything's getting busier. So I'm sure you're also busy with several projects in mind as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the the past year was also a kind of moment of like pausing and reflecting on on what you want to do and how you want to do it. Um, so that was certainly the case for us. Uh, there were a few different initiatives that kind of popped up during that time that we started to think about. One was at the very beginning of the first lockdown, we, we started a campaign called Culture is Not Cancelled. And so there we were encouraging commissioners, organizations not to cancel culture, because if you if you do that, then not only does it affect really the livelihood, but I think, you know, culture is what makes us what makes us human. So we saw that as a really important message to put out there. And then another thing that maybe we can talk about later is that we started a a scholarship to try to find ways to encourage access to design education because we realized that that was something that was really missing, especially for underrepresented communities and something that we thought that as a design studio we could actually do something about. I I think that's super cool because I do agree kind of design, journalism, everything kind of in the humanities field, it is a bit of a struggle for some people to to get into those industries, right? Yeah. So is it a partnership with Central St. Martins? Yeah, it's or? a partnership with Central St. Martins, and it will support one student over the kind of three-year term of their, their studies. And it's uh, going to launch, I mean, the, it's out now, applications are due this Friday. So it's, uh, and, and we'll be awarding the student next month. So we're really excited to see how this um, can can really make a small a small difference, I think, but a concrete one at the same time. And another project we need to talk. I have this beautiful book by Tashin here in front of me. Uh, again, it's kind of a fashion partnership uh, you did with uh, Virgil Abloh and Nike as well. Tell us a bit more about the book. By the way, I do love this kind of tone of green. What what what, what is that tone? Actually? Yeah, so it's uh, it's a green called Volt Green. It's uh, for everyone. This is radio, so I guess we should describe yeah. the object in front of us. So it's a, a kind of electric green book. On the cover, there's a version of the swoosh, which probably people are less familiar with. It's from 1971 and designed by Carolyn Davidson. So it's the original swoosh, and it's framed by these words from Virgil that says, something's off. It's uh, Swiss bounds. When you open it, you have a kind of exposed spine. And all of all of these little moves are about kind of unpacking the design process. So even the choice of, of that swoosh on the cover really points to design history. And the subtitle of the book, of course, or the title of the book is Icon. So a lot of the choices that we made together in this book is really about design education and trying to show not only kind of sneakerheads, but also kind of design historians, kids that are interested in design, what goes on in that black box of the design studio. There was Zach Kais there.
Finally, on the show, we welcome back Carl Hankel, founder of Record Magazine, a biannual print title that shines a light on people's relationship with music and how it intersects with art, fashion and culture. I love their long-form interviews and I always discover something new while reading the interviews as well. Here is Carl telling me all about Issue 9. Yeah, it's a real mix, like all the way to more up and coming names like Yusu from Vancouver or June Jones from Melbourne, you know, people making great music that isn't isn't necessarily widely known or so. But it's all about that mix. Like you said, Sebastian Tellier, of course, is more of a household name. And it was great to get someone like that in there, too. And I have to say, it's not only about music, but I also get some kind of uh, kind of home decor inspirations. And I think that's nice. the whole point as well, right? Some ideas for um, plants and furniture. No, definitely. Um, I mean, I do too, when you're sort of <laughs> moving into a new apartment, trying to work out how you're going to do it. It's nice to look at how other people have set up their shelving. And I've definitely taken some cues how was your time during this, you know, kind of quite difficult year we had, you know, because of COVID? How was the reaction from readers kind of of Record Magazine or how was something a bit harder to make this issue, for example? Definitely with the issue before, we were kind of smack bang in the middle of the pandemic and it was quite hard to organize, organize photo shoots during that time because um, you weren't allowed to have people in your home in places like America to Europe. That was quite challenging. This time it was a little bit easier, I think. For the most part, you were allowed to have a photographer visit someone at their home and people have kind of gotten into the rhythm of this lockdown thing. Of course, things have kind of moved on from that now, but I think it had its ups and downs and, you know, on the upside, people were more available than ever. Like record is often predominantly a large part of the features, let's say are DJs who travel the world quite constantly otherwise. So it's been a lot easier to catch some of these people during times when we can't travel so much. And one of the features of record is this kind of very kind of long interviews, which I love. I mean, for example, I love the work of Sebastian Tellier. It's so nice to give him space to breathe as well. I think that's another highlight that makes, for example, record such a nice kind of weekend read. I mean, is, is that, I guess that's your intention as well, even though you told me it's kind of a bit hard to fact check, right? Yeah, it's quite, the interviews are quite lengthy as they are printed in the magazine, but they do start out much longer, sort of three times or more longer. So it's a process of kind of, trimming things down and as you go along it kind of becomes clear which things are maybe more important to include than others and it's just a fun process like having a longer length interview allows us to go to different places and maybe more interesting places I think than just talking about the most recent release and stuff so it's just it's about having a long conversation with someone um, that can be around two hours, say, and then condensing that down, which is also a challenge in itself and kind of it forces the interview to be succinct as well. Even though they're long, I don't think they're 
too long. They're sort of, the goal is for it to be sort of all killer and no filler, like all interesting stuff. So yeah, that's, that's the process. And yeah, when it comes to the end, just doing a quick read through can take a couple of days <laughs> rather than just a few hours as you might hope. And Carl, tell us about record. I mean, when it comes to merchandising, so I know, are you wearing a t-shirt, a record t-shirt? Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I, representing. I, <laughs> I like that. Sorry, I have to tell this to our listeners. But you, you have super cool merchandising. How, how is that? Do you think there was a good way to add, you know, to the kind of to the readers of Record Magazine? Do you think it's a it's a cool addition? Kind of they live well together in a way. Yeah, totally. I mean, as as much as I love the magazine itself, it's like my baby, if you will. Um, it's been really fun to do these extra kind of merchandise collaborations. I've got some in front of me. Like this time, we did the tote bag with Honey Dijon which was an overprint of our red logo tote. So with Honey, we, we did this supplement booklet to the issue that's all about Chicago houseflies from 91 to 2000 when Honey was kind of the time that she was coming up as a DJ um, in Chicago. A lot of her sort of mentors and influencers, guys like Derek Carter, the booklet is from the archives of two friends of Honey, um, Mark Farina and Alicia Pryor. And they're kind of, they're like nightclub flyers all the way to like warehouse party, like very unofficial sort of parties that happened. And um, they have great graphics and I think tell a interesting story just visually. You can kind of transport yourself into what it might be like to go to a 90s house party in Chicago, or at least that's the intention. And then with the merchandise, like with the tote bag, it was just a sort of fun idea. We had to ask Connie if she would design like a fantasy flyer for a party of her own and out came the graphic and we put it on a tote bag. Also, we, we worked with Tim Sweeney from Beats in Space again. So Tim was in issue one of record and this time we looked at like another piece of ephemera that surrounds the radio show that's been running for 20 years or over 20 years and it's now stopped actually, but it's um, postcards that listeners sent him and a lot of these are pretty hilarious and like almost fan art. So we asked him to share all these with us and we made a selection for the magazine and one of these found its way onto a t-shirt for the issue as well. So it's just a way to kind of extend what we do in the magazine. And to be honest, that part of it is quite fun and carefree. Like we talked about editing a lot of text before that's has its fun element, but also can feel like work, but something like making merchandise is it's just fun, I think, and it's a way for readers to kind of get into the magazine beyond just reading it and wearing it around town. Well, Carl, I learned quite a new kind of music tips reading Record Magazine. And I, and I want to know, for example, I know maybe I'm putting you on the spot, but what, what have you been listening to at the moment or this year, for example? That's a good question. Yeah, while I'm making 
an issue I'm kind of listening to the artists in that issue predominantly and then in between I maybe just like allow whatever to come in to sort of re-inspire and stuff. Honestly I've been listening to it's a good question. I've been listening to Massive Attack this morning. There was Carl Hankel there from Record Magazine. Issue 9 is out now. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fb.monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com. And subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. And before we go, a little song for you. It seems to me that me and Carl are having a massive attack moment. So here you go. This is one of my favorites. Massive Attack with Angel. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>